Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Michael wrote that. Um, and there's going to be more this whole Advent season as he's written many songs to go with all of our services thematically and finally on our Christmas Eve service where it sort of builds to a crescendo. I encourage you, if you can be here on Christmas Eve, you're going to want to be here on Christmas Eve, okay? Uh, you're going to hear a lot less of me preaching and a lot more of him singing. And so this is probably something most of you would appreciate. Um, it was a moment when he was singing where I got that feeling. You know what I'm talking about, the shivers down your spine, the moment that everything stops, where the center of the world is this moment at this time right now. There's something magical and miraculous even about that, about that. When I think about Christmas, that is the feeling that I get. I'm so glad that this got teed up with that song because um, I want to capture for us the idea of what has been lost for many of us. We live in a world, uh, and I talk about it frequently, that is basically off the rails. Um, and, and sadly, sometimes we contribute to it as believers and children of God. We watch the news, we walk down the street, we interact with people, we're in the store, the rudeness. People are all self-centered. People are focused on themselves and their own lives, their own mentality, their own whatever, as long as it's their own. And we've lost the sense of this corporate oneness that at least we imagine in our head when we look back at yesteryear. You know, I think about the nostalgia of Christmas as a kid or as Christmas as a young man. There was something special and sacred about that time. Lane and I and Shannon went down to Chicago last week on, on Monday, my day off, and we actually went down. Uh, we had lunch. It was really nice. We went down and saw um, something of a play, and uh, we were walking down Michigan Avenue. The lights were lit up. They had uh, those fireplaces that are going, this sort of cozy feeling, and not one glint, not one mention, not a whisper of the fact that the whole reason for this moment is the birth of God himself in the flesh to save mankind. What can you expect? What can you expect? It's our responsibility to proclaim that message. We can't lament the fact that the world has taken Christ out of Christmas or decided that it was going to be a secular holiday. That's our job to be saying these very things. And so as I walked down those streets and I looked around, I thought, what can we contribute? And what do we need within ourselves in order to be fit witnesses to the truth of what Christmas means? We need this more than ever as we see the hopelessness and sometimes even resignation around us of the way the world is, the way things are and the way that it seems it will always be. 
As believers, we need to understand what Christmas is first and foremost. We need to understand. I think there's confusion. Sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of this myself, I think of Christmas and I think of what gifts do I need to buy? I think of where am I going to go Christmas Eve and what am I going to do Christmas Day? How can I see all of my family and all of my friends? How can I make sure the house is clean? How can I reclaim that oh-so-Christmas nostalgic feeling? How can I, how can I, how can I? When the truth of the matter is Christmas is all about this word, incarnation. The incarnation. Christmas is the commemoration of God being born in the flesh. If we make it anything other than that, we're selling God's work short and we're missing the basic idea of what it's all about. It's the foundational event in our, in our salvation. It's miraculous. If we lose track or lose sight of this, we'll be distracted by gifts, cheer, and yes, even our family. We need to have this before us. So in today's passage, we read what is uh, often called the Annunciation, or the Annunciation to Mary. This is where Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes and declares to Mary that she will carry God in the flesh. And so let's look back. Uh, Bibles are in the pews here. We're in Luke 126. If you have your own Bibles, please feel free to open them up. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. First thing to note here is that uh, there's mention of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, who had been barren her entire life. She was married to a man named Zechariah, who was high priest that year, or was at least called to go into the Holy of Holies that year. And he... Uh, had been given a revelation that his wife, the one who would never have a child, could never have a child, and it seemed the time to have a child had passed, would have a child. That child's name would be John, and this child would carry the spirit of Elijah. He'd be a sort of, I don't know if this is in a negative ten, a sense, but a sort of a bombastic, larger-than-life sort of prophet eat locusts and honey, and declare the things of God. He would be called as the forerunner to the Messiah, the herald. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. And so when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Lots of background information that we sometimes fly over, but I want to take a moment to look at some of these important ideas here because they set the tone of what God is doing in this account. All right, first, Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth was an unexpected place for anything good to come from. We hear it in one of the apostles. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's because Nazareth was a small town in a backwater area of Galilee. Galilee, where Jesus is from, was a very multicultural sort of place. It was not something, a place like Judea, where there were mostly Jews. It was sort of a mixture because of historical reasons, lots of outside um, populations had moved in to northern Israel. And so the northern part of Israel, of which Galilee is a part, was often not looked at as the end-all, be-all of Israeli history or, or Jewish history. Okay? It was a backwater area. To a virgin, a virgin nonetheless, from Nazareth, 
Now, this word here is interesting. It can mean young woman, but I think it's pretty clear as we read through that this means virgin. This is somebody who's never been with a man. This is somebody, just like Elizabeth, who had been impossible in the human realm to become pregnant, Mary would become pregnant in a similar way. She was a young girl, maybe as young as 12 or 13. 12 or 13. But this this idea that a virgin would carry is not an unexpected piece. We saw it in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 12, God says, or Isaiah 7 rather, God says that there will be a time. It was a prophecy looking forward. So Mary being of Nazareth and a virgin who would conceive was the fulfillment of a prophecy made 700 years prior through the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, in the Bible, names mean something. When you see a name, it's often linked to the character or the story or the idea of the person so named. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And this is what we celebrate as we enter into the Christmas season. God with us in the form of a human being just as we are to die on our behalf. Of the throne or of the family of David, a descendant of David. David was the greatest king of Israel, lived at about 1,000 B.C., and God made a promise to him that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel forever, for eternity. And so this has marked an important piece. This story, this, this sort of background information has set the stage for us to understand what is occurring. What is occurring is the fulfillment of God's covenant to his people. It says, The angel went on to say to her in verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being this young girl by all accounts, a good girl. And the angel Gabriel, the archangel, this is not just any old angel. Now, I suppose that any old angel is probably a pretty mighty thing. This is the angel Gabriel, the archangel. This is the angel of angels. This is the angel, this is the general of the Lord's army standing before this little girl. Think of the juxtaposition of these two ideas, a divine, majestic being who stands at the throne of God and does God's will, standing before this young, innocent, quiet, good girl, Mary. And his words are, do not be afraid, for you have found favor. Can you imagine her fear? Maybe her excitement? Certainly her confusion. What's happening? This is something different. He says, Mary, you are highly favored. I think when we see this word favored, we need to understand a little bit about what it means. It comes from the exact word that we use for grace, charis. Charis. And so it means to show favor upon someone, but if we don't understand it properly, we can get the sense that someone is being shown favoritism. So as if we had two people and God favors one over the other. There carries a sense of sort of an unjust or un, you know, imbalance of goodness one towards another. And that's not always the case. It's certainly not the case here. What the angel is saying, what Gabriel is saying is, Mary, for no reason of your own, you have been chosen. 
Me? Yes, you, Mary, have been chosen for perhaps the most important role of any person outside of the person you will carry in your womb. You have been chosen. You know, in the Protestant church, we sometimes uh, make Mary just another person. Just another person. And we know it's in response to the sort of divination, or, or the divining, I think is the word I'm looking for, of Mary, right? Where we make her larger than she should be. The truth is that she was a human being just like us. In the same, however, she was also chosen to carry Jesus. Can you imagine being in heaven one day? And here up walks this woman. I think we're going to recognize her, but I don't know. Maybe we'll say, hi, I'm Adam, who are you? I'm Mary. Oh, Mary. No, I'm Mary. Oh, that Mary. Miriam is how you say it in Greek. Miriam. That Mary. Thank you. That, thank you. That's what I would say. I'd have so many questions. I'm sure you would too. But thank you. He says, do not be afraid because you have found favor. You have found grace with God. And that grace is the basis for us to be able to put down our fear. If we stood before God, barren and naked, apart from Christ, we have every reason to fear. To fear the judgment and the righteous, just condemnation that we would have as sinners. Yet because of the grace of God, his ability to, to overlook it through a means, his son Jesus, that we can no longer, that we should no longer have fear of God. It's certainly not in the same way. You know, just as Mary wondered what was happening, we wonder as well. It's the wonder of the incarnation, and I want to talk to you a little bit about exactly what that is. So that was sort of a setup, long intro. It's quick points. So, first point. So we want to understand what the incarnation is. What is it exactly? Some of you, it might be the first time you've heard it, or you've heard it and you don't exactly know what it means. But first, through the incarnation, God reaffirms his covenant. Through the incarnation, God reaffirmed his covenant. He says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never and Gabriel is explaining this idea of the incarnation. He's saying this is what's going to happen. God, you are going to be pregnant with a child. This child, he will go on to say, will become God in the flesh. In fact, that's what the word means. Incarnation comes from a Latin root that means to be encased in meat. Really? <laughs> Who likes Mexican food? I will demolish some Mexican food. We know this word, carne asada. Carne asada. This word carne comes from the same Latin root. It means flesh. It means meat. And so what the idea is, is that in the incarnation, God, his spiritual self, would be implanted and made one with the human body. And that person would serve as our sacrifice because we needed it. We sometimes couch the idea of Christmas in terms of a baby born to die. And this is certainly true. We sing songs about it. We relate to this. This is something I think we've all heard. 
But there's something miraculous, even more miraculous maybe, that we often overlook, is that God became man. Is that God became man. We think about our creation and we can feel so alone, don't we, here on earth? And separate and far from God. Yeah, many of us would believe in God, but he still feels distant. He feels other than because he is. God is the ultimate other than. It's what that word holy means. And somehow, in some miraculous, mysterious way, God in his holiness breaks into his creation to become a man like us. In John 1, it says the word became flesh, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Listen to what Gabriel declares about this child. One, his name will be named Jesus. Jesus means salvation. Salvation. You know, there are times in the Old Testament, this is terrible exegesis, but it's a fun thing to do. There's times in the Old Testament, as you're looking through, every time you see the word salvation, say Jesus. It's the same word. It says he'll be great. Everything about Jesus is admirable, noteworthy, perfect, and righteous. I think of the young Jesus at the temple, interacting and even maybe even arguing or bantering with those who taught, sitting at the gates of the town, reasoning with sophisticated, intelligent men. He would be called Son of the Most High. This is a very unusual name that's linked only to Christ. He would be God in the flesh. And finally, he would be king. He would govern. He would sit on the throne, the promised throne of David. Jesus would reign as a king. Jesus' reign as king is the reaffirmation of his covenant to God's people. God loves to make covenants. God loves to make promises. In fact, before creation was even made, God was making promises. They call it the covenant of grace. There was a time when the Trinity came together. It's not really, it was a time. It was before time. It just was. Even that's wrong. The Trinity came together and said, let's make people. They're going to fall. Let's save them too. But some will reject them. That's okay, let's make it awesome. (laughs) Simplified version. The point is that God made a covenant before the beginning of time, before the establishment of the foundation of the world, listen to this, to save you. That is one of those truths that when I became a believer, and still today, it stops me in my tracks. That God loved me from the foundation of the world. That in my waywardness, God was watching, God was waiting, God was planning. And that in a promise, in a fulfillment of his covenant to me made before I even knew what a covenant was, made before the word covenant even existed, he saved me because he's good and he's faithful. He saves you. Wow. He makes man. Man falls, goes his own way. And in the curse that occurs in the garden, in chapter 3 of Genesis he makes a promise again. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first preaching of the gospel. He says to the woman, one of your offspring will crush the head of the serpent. That offspring is Jesus. The promise goes on through Noah. He says, I'm going to start over, but I'm going to start over with you. We saw that turn bad quick. Abraham. 
God promises to him that he will be given the land of Israel and that he will make a people that outnumbers the multitude of heaven. Isaac and Jacob and David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. He says, your son, one of your sons, will build me a temple, will sit on my throne, and will reign forever. Now, if we read it from a certainly human point of view, we see that fulfilled in Solomon in some degree. Because he did have a son who built him a temple. But he will reign forever. Solomon's not reigning. Solomon's not reigning. I often wondered, I wondered as I was preparing this, this idea of building a temple for his God. Are we the temple? Maybe we're the temple. That we are the temple that is promised to be built by the son of David who would sit and reign forever. That sounds like Jesus to me. And that's what happens at the incarnation. How do we regain this wonder? How do we regain this idea of what the incarnation really is? Well, one, we need to realize that we are part of something bigger. It's not just us. Someone posted on Facebook today, oh, it was Rachel, or this week. It was this idea of the size of the earth in comparison to the size of the solar system, and the size of the solar system, I know all the friends of Rachel because everyone's nodding. The size of the solar system in relationship to the size of the galaxy, and the galaxy in size of the universe, and, so, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and it shows how small we are. It shows how small. I was having a conversation with Shannon later in the week, and she said, did you see that thing? I said, yeah. She's like, that just like blew my mind. And she said, how is it that we're all alone? I said, I don't know. But imagine if we are how important mankind is to God and how all of the orchestration behind the scenes that God has done is the superintendent of everything we interact with, creation, our lives, our people, our relationships, are all geared towards reclaiming his own according to his promise that he made before the foundations of the beginning of the world. Christmas is the commemoration of God's eternal plan not only to redeem humanity, if you're a believer, you. Christmas is God's redeeming me. If you're not yet a believer, I want you to know God is calling you. And Christmas is God's sort of down payment. It's the first strike in the cosmic plan to save you because he loves you. And we consider God's faithfulness to us no matter what. The incarnation is God's promise for you and you are part of that covenant. You know, Mary was a young woman from a little backwater town of little import. Yet God chose her and God has chosen you. Second piece. Through the incarnation, God re-entered his creation. God re-entered its creation. When God made mankind, he made Eden as something of a temple. The idea was for God to dwell with man. God rebel, or, uh, the, Adam and Eve rebelled, and God withdrew, and he barred Adam and Eve from entering that place of fellowship, that temple, that garden temple that was made. And we see again and again, especially through the book of Genesis, that God is seeking to reestablish that relationship and to set aside a people for himself because he seeks to be with his creation. We see it again and again. In the Tower of Babel, even, they start to create a tower seeking to reach God instead of having God come to them. And God says, that's it. I'm going to scatter you and give you over to the nations. And I'm going to start again in the next chapter with Abraham. 
So God, in some sense, has been part of his creation and walked with man again and again and again. We see it in the temple. After he pulls the Jews out of Egypt, he resides in a pillar of fire and cloud within the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, in the people of Israel. In 586, okay, this was the sacking of Jerusalem uh, by, by the Babylonians, it says that the Shekinah, this word means the visible manifestation of God's glory. The best way I can describe it is, oh! How many of you have seen the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Right? Melting faces and stuff when he takes the lid off of the Ark of the Covenant. Shekinah glory. In 586, it says, God's Shekinah glory, the physical manifestation of his presence, left. And the temple was destroyed. That Shekinah glory, that presence of the Lord, never returned to the temple even after it was being rebuilt by Herod. So when you ask yourself, what was in the Holy of Holies? At the time of Herod, nothing. Empty room. If you read rabbinical writings at the time, that's exactly what they believed, that God had not returned to his place within the temple. But they had prepared the Holy of Holies to wait for him and the fulfillment of his promise to return. So when we see God re-entering his creation in Jesus, it's as if his Shekinah glory is coming again to reside with his people, not just in a temple, not just in a tabernacle, but as a man. In fact, the word in, for in John 1, it says, and we beheld his glory, oh, where does it say? And the word became flesh and tabernacled. It says it dwelled with us in some of the other uh, translations. But tabernacle is the word. He came to live on earth with us. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, that's <laughs> what our reaction would be. She says, I do not know a man. That's what she says in Greek. There's nobody. People who reject the virgin birth often ask the same thing. How is this even possible? And so they reject it out of hand. They assume that it's not possible. Some may make an attempt to understand it through naturalistic means. There's actually something called parthogenesis. Parthogenesis is where things like fish and reptiles, not humans, can create asexually cloning, essentially, one of their own. The problem is, is parthenogenesis only creates females. Only creates females. The bottom line is that this is a miracle. The God who created the physical rules of the universe superseded them, overrode them, and did something amazing in the incarnation. He comes back into his own creation Without God's miraculous intervention in the womb of Mary, the virgin birth could never, ever happen. Gabriel explains what's going to happen. He says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is even in her sixth month for no word of God will ever fail. The incarnation and therefore Christmas is about the power of God. The power of God. Gabriel points to her cousin. Don't think it impossible. Nothing's impossible. Elizabeth, your cousin, you know she's pregnant. That was me too. (laughs) 
Nothing is impossible with God. We needed this. We needed this because we are completely powerless to save ourselves, aren't we? I mean, we are born sinners, so the first thing we do is sin. Augustine said the only reason little babies don't look like sinners is because they can't walk enough to sin yet. (laughs) They can't speak enough to sin yet. I bet any of us who have raised kids know often what the very first word that comes out is mine. Mine. Or no. (laughs) We're born helpless and unable to help ourselves. We are unable to save ourselves. So God did what only God could do. He fulfilled his holiness and was able to love us by becoming Jesus. Jesus was both God and man. I know this is something we talk about. This is the gospel. This is it. We need to regain that miraculous, that awe of what actually happened here, of what has saved us. That we were helpless and because we were, God did what we could not do for ourselves. He entered into his creation to die on our behalf and created Jesus. Jesus was both God and man. Exactly like us. Exactly like God. One person with two natures. For those of you who are interested, this word is hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. The union into, of two natures into one person. Gabriel says, no word from God will ever fail. What a beautiful and terrifying truth. Sometimes people ask, what does it mean to have the fear of God? And I can wax eloquently about what it is. Here's the bottom line. It's believing God at his word. The fear of God is believing that God will do exactly as he said. When you read some of the threats of what will happen to unbelievers, there's reason to fear. And that was us. But when we see what God has promised to do in saving us and how he has done that through the incarnation, what a beautiful truth, that no word of God will ever fail, that nothing will separate you from the love of God, that no man, no one will snatch you out of the hand of the Father. God did not leave you in your sin. He came to get you. When Christ was born, he came to get you. You are not alone. You are loved. You are valuable. Because you are loved and valuable and God is faithful, you came out a rescue mission. That's our final point. Through the incarnation, God reclaimed his creatures. Reclaimed his creatures. Now, in one sense, God never abandoned his creatures, and they were never really taken into possession by Satan. We sort of willingly went. Did you ever hear those stories about these young kids didn't know any better? They're all teen angst, so on and so forth. They decided to like, go join a terrorist organization or a gang or something. They willingly go. Guess what? That's us. <laughs> we willingly left to join an anti-God terrorist organization. It's called Humanity. And even though we were in rebellion against him, and our hearts were set against them, against him. God in his love came and reclaimed us. He opened our eyes to see when we couldn't by his grace. And he came to rescue us from ourselves and from Satan. The incarnation was the first strike of a cosmic battle to reclaim what is rightfully God's. So in a very real way, the incarnation is about spiritual warfare. 
It's God saying, no, I'm coming to get them. God has fought for you, and God is fighting for you even now as he sustains you in your faith. For those of you who do not yet know the Lord Jesus, he's fighting for you. He's fighting for you. He wants you. God has not left you in your sin, but has reclaimed you as his. You were bought with a price. Ephesians says that we are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. The fact that when we believe the Holy Spirit resides in us and we have been sealed, it's a down payment guarantee that we are saved. So when we think of Christmas, we should think Christmas marks the day that God came to get me. That God came to get me. This is one of the most beautiful lines, and this is the substance of Michael's song from this morning. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left. I cannot help but believe that, now the Bible doesn't tell us when the incarnation actually happened. I think it was the moment she said, may it be. May it be. When we read these words, maybe this is the exact moment that God became flesh and lodged in the womb of a little virgin girl from Nazareth. Over 2,000 years ago, and maybe in our own lives, it's those times when we say, may it be, that God is able to create something new in our own lives. Mary's words of faithful acceptance of God's will marked the moment when the trajectory of humankind went from this way to this way. At the same, and the same can happen here today in your history, in the plan for your life. Just as Mary accepted God's will and something miraculous occurred, so you too can accept God's will for your life and expect something miraculous to occur for you. I have friends and people that I interact with all the time who cannot see how God can change their situation. Many of them are unbelievers. They don't even want, like the idea of believing in anything. We say something like, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just have open-mindedness and a willingness to see and to watch God begin to work in their lives. And to be able to see them say, Do you real something just happened? And it's a celebrate, it's God coming to get them. God coming to get them. For those of you who have never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that this moment right now is your moment, that God has brought you to this place right now. If what I'm saying is making sense, if you're feeling something stirring within your heart, I want you to know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, that is God coming for you. Rescue mission. This is God telling you that now's the time. That today is the day. For those of you who are already believers, but maybe you've been wandering from the Lord, I want you to know that it's God's will that you receive his forgiveness today. And that you receive his power to start fresh. For we serve the God of second chances. So this Christmas season, take a look beyond the food and the gifts and the travel, maybe even past the family gatherings and the church functions. Look to the deeper, miraculous reality about what we are celebrating at this time of year, that God made a promise to you, even from eternity past, to rescue you. He made good on that promise 2,000 years ago by re-entering his creation, being born into it, 
is the form of a baby. Also, he could reclaim you as his. For you are his. You are his. Let's pray. Father, I cannot do justice to what is actually happening in the incarnation, Lord. My words, they're, you know. Father, we've created a word for you, ineffable. This idea that we can never truly speak about who you are because words cannot contain you. Words cannot describe what you've done and who you are. So, Lord, I ask that you use my meager words, Lord. I ask that you use what we sing, Lord. I ask that you use what we read to penetrate us deeply, that we might understand exactly what you did in the incarnation. Change this Christmas for us, Lord. Make it less about us and more about what you have done, the first strike on a cosmic battle. We pray, Lord, that you would make this real in our lives and that each day we would live in this reality. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's Communion Sunday. We ha- each of you should have gotten one of those cups. Has anyone not received one of the communion cups who would like a communion cup? My dad, down here. In communion, we really commemorate exactly what I'm talking about here today. We commemorate what occurred in the incarnation and what occurred 33 years later with Jesus' death on the cross. We remember that, yes, he was a baby born to die, that God came in the flesh, he lived a perfect life, that we could receive it. This actually is what the bread symbolizes when we take it. The righteous life of Christ that becomes ours when we take it by faith. The wine, juice actually, the juice represents the blood of Christ. And that points to his death on the cross, a life for a life, his life for our own. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he sat with his brothers, he sat with his disciples, and he used an old form, the Sabbath or the Passover meal, and gave it new meaning and said, this is really about me. He says, this is about my life and death so that you might have life and you might cheat death. And so we're in a moment, we're going to pray for the elements. We're going to sit quietly. Michael and them are going to begin to play. I want you to think in your mind about what the incarnation means for you. I want you to think in your mind and in your heart. I want you to interact with the Lord and ask him to make this real to you. If there's something in your life that it should not be there, you all know what I'm talking about. We have these. Ask God to get rid of it. Confess it to him and ask him for the strength. Get it out of the way so that you, unencumbered, without this shame, can come to him. Because this is the very reason he came to rescue you. So let me pray for the elements this morning. We'll begin. Father, thank you, Lord, for for this bread and this juice. I pray, Father, that you would uh, use it to remind us of what you've done in your son Jesus, of of who he is and what you've made him, King of kings and Lord of lords. How even though he resided with you in heaven, that he humbled himself, Lord, and became a man and obedient even unto death, that we might have life. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this time and reveal what's going on in our own hearts to us and apply your truth that we might live in peace, joy, and trust. Thank you, Lord, for these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.